Welcome to everyone. Special welcome to the world travelers who returned to the planet. Good to see you again. All of us are travelers through space and time. Eternal travelers and yet eternally never moving at all. But enjoying the illusion of the dream that brings richness and joy and learning even through pain and suffering. The learning of the lessons that bring about wisdom and freedom and re-empowerment as we go through the labyrinth. Forgetting we are the one self and then remembering again. Playing peekaboo with the self. And there's nothing really to do in this act of remembrance except to let go of the forgetfulness. To let go of all of the thoughts that are based in the illusion and not in the witness. And when one returns to the self-luminous, infinite intelligence that is pure consciousness, all of the suffering of the dream falls away, all the fears, desires, egoic identities drop away very easily without any struggle. But not everyone is ready for that, and thus techniques have been created. You know, at Ramana's ashram, he ended up kicking out a lot of people. He sent them away because they weren't ready for his technique of atma vichara. He said only very few, very pure, ripe, mature beings are ready for that. And others who are in an intermediary state, he would say, okay, do japa, repeat mantras, do visualizations, do good karma, do various other uh, techniques to purify your unconscious and to prepare yourself to be able to quiet the mind sufficiently to gain self-realization. But many were not able to, and because Ramana didn't have the other Western techniques of dealing with uh, Maya, he would just say, come back when you're ready. And that was merciful in a way. But here we don't like to do that. And so here we offer this trivium technique of doing inner work, translating your experience, and at the same time working on gaining the willpower to remain and hold on to the silence of the self. But when someone comes here, we have to understand three different fundamental dimensions of their being. One is the phenomenological context of their life, their umwelt, to use the scientific term that we've studied here. <clears throat> the nature of the space of consciousness that is curved around certain traumas and certain signifiers and certain kinds of losses that tend to then repeat themselves in ongoing recurrences of the same themes 
and to understand the full context at the level of the experience but also of the empyreans enables us to understand the logic of what is going on that keeps someone trapped in a false consciousness. The second dimension is that of the hermeneutic capacity. This means the capacity that one has to interpret their own experience. People have different abilities to do that. And in truth, there are seven levels of hermeneutic capacity. We won't go into them all tonight because we would take the whole evening for that. But we'll go into that in the next retreat. But the idea is there are some people who are trapped in a very rigid one-dimensional interpretation of their experience and they can only see it one way. And they cannot reach degree two in which they can at least critique that level of interpretation and see it as false. They're stuck in it, trapped in it, without any exit. At level two, at least, there's a critique, but the critique is contaminated by a superego attack upon the first level. So then at the third level, at least, you get to critique the critique and recognize that beyond the superego level, there is a level of soul consciousness that can interpret the experience from a much higher, much more spacious and loving dimension. As you go up, you begin to be able to interpret your experience from the archetypal plane and the plane of luminosity and the plane of vairagya and ultimately from that infinite awareness which transcends interpretation itself because the ultimate interpretation is that this is all Brahman which is uninterpretable as anything except ultimate reality itself. But along the way one gains the wisdom to see reality clearly And so many of the things that we teach here and the challenges that we present people are to increase their capacity to think clearly so that they can interpret their experience without falling into the trap of either gullibility and naivete or some other kind of maya. That's why we'll do things like show films about aliens, for example. It's not because we want you to worry about whether you're going to be attacked by extraterrestrials and abducted, but so that you can think clearly about your experience. And when somebody presents this possibility to you to know, is this true? Is this a delusion, a hallucination? What is this? Because we are constantly faced with the question in life of what is this? And what did that person mean by what they said? And what are the implications of this and that? And so if you cannot think clearly and interpret your reality in an accurate way, then you can fall into great uh, inaccurate karma and maya and uh, create delusions for yourself that are far worse than the ones you started out with. So this capacity, which is not taught in the educational system, is required for spiritual development in which you end up dealing with phenomena, flora and fauna of consciousness of higher levels and of beings that come from other dimensions which have to be approached with great wisdom and empowerment that can only be done if the apparition, if you will, is interpreted correctly. The third uh, fundamental dimension that has to be understood when people come to a sangha, a school like this one, is their existential burden and the limitations of their existential situation. And this is in terms of bodily capacity, financial capacity, and all of those other external things, but also in terms of the karmic burden that people are carrying. 
that uh, weigh down upon them and keep them from uh, being able to free themselves into that infinite state of love and light. And these burdens and these capacities that must be developed and these contexts, if they are not accurately understood, they can't be unlocked and you won't be freed from the prison in which you find yourself when you come to a school like this. And this is about liberation. But if you're not willing to learn something new because you don't trust it, because you don't know if you are, what you're learning is an accurate interpretation of reality, then it will cause you to become very afraid and to shut down and to reach a state of anxiety in which you won't be able to trust that you have the safety to open up to learn something new and to trust that you can experiment with that new information and that new energy and that new power. And so this is often what is the, uh, the threshold that holds people from being able to make a full commitment and, and cross the gap. But in terms of the existential context and the phenomenological context, we also have to understand that people's uh, lives create for themselves puzzles and challenges and bondages, even in the present, that may not have been there in the past, it, because of the terror of achieving liberation. So as an example, there's a famous story told by Edwin Friedman, who's a, a therapist, by, about a man who is, has been searching for liberation, for a path to the other side. Let's say the other side of a great river, where is the, the great city that will offer the opportunities to achieve liberation. But he can't find a bridge to get across this river. And he's been in agony about the inability to cross. And, uh, and finally, he sees a bridge. It's a very high bridge. And uh, it's one that he has to climb many steps to get up. And he's hesitant. He doesn't know if he has the energy. But he does it finally. And he's walking across this bridge. And it's empty. He's all alone. And he's halfway across this bridge to the other side when he sees someone walking toward him. And this person walking toward him is a very attractive woman. And she's walking, smiling toward him as if she knows him, but he knows she's a stranger to him. But she stops right in front of him and they have a conversation and he gets distracted from his goal and he starts talking to her. And in this distraction, she asks him, can you do me a favor? And he says, well, sure. And it's only at that moment when he hands her, uh, she hands him a rope to hold, and which says, would you just hold on to this, that he sees that she has this long rope coiled around her waist. And she just says, just hold this for me, will you? And, and he says, okay. And, and then he sees she's climbing the railing of the bridge, and she jumps over. And he realizes he has to hold the other end, and he quickly tries to tie it around himself and brace himself. And uh, indeed, she reaches the end of the rope and she's down there dangling above the river. And now he's holding on to her and he's looking over the bridge and he's saying, what are you doing? What's going on here? And, and she says, just hold on. And he says, what, what are you talking about? And she says, my life is in your hands. I'm totally dependent on you. And he says, but I can't deal with this. I have, I'm on a journey. I can't stop. And she says, you must, you must save my life. 
And so he's looking around the bridge to find somebody to help him. There's nobody around. He doesn't have the strength. He tries to yank her up, but she's too heavy, and he can't, doesn't have the power to bring her up. It's a stalemate. But he's getting weaker and weaker, and he doesn't know what to do, and he's feeling very guilty about this. He can't save her from the situation. He can't let go because then he would be guilty for killing her. Uh, he's in a total mess. As he's trying to deal with this, uh, but futilely, an old man starts to walk across the bridge and, and comes next to him. And as he passes him, the man says to him, you really have to let go and continue on your journey. And the old man keeps walking. And he says, what? what do you mean? And, and he stands there and he meditates on these words and he realizes finally that he's not responsible for this situation. She created this, not him. And he looks down at her and he says, I wish you well, but I must let go. And he lets go. And he keeps going on his journey. He ultimately reaches fulfillment in his life and he becomes a great spiritual teacher. But he doesn't know what happened to her, but the truth is that she lands in the river and there happens to be a boat going by and it picks her up and she's fine, she's safe. And she actually ends up uh, joining a spiritual community and also becoming a great spiritual teacher. And the two of them both reach fulfillment and because of having gone through that experience and the realization of the need to cut every rope, every bondage, Every impediment to your freedom, both of them achieve liberation. And the ending is a very happy one. But neither of them knew that it could be. And if you're in that kind of a phenomenological context, you won't feel that you have either the right or the power to let go, or to be let go of, in order to be able to find your way to the true destination of your life's journey. And so this is the kind of thing that everyone, in one way or another, is either holding on to a rope or feeling so dependent that they have to be held on to, that they cannot find their empowerment. And it's only when this context has been cut, when this delusion has been cut, that the real spiritual journey can begin. And so in the meditation tonight, uh, begin by reflecting on that. Are you in any kind of bondage to any rope, any umbilical cord, any kind of impediment to going freely on your journey to liberation? And are you willing to cut that, to let go, and to know that you need to be let go of so that you can discover that you can swim and you can find your way to your own destination without anyone else's help? This is the great challenge of the spiritual awakening. Let's meditate.